All right, Wheaton Bible Church, today is Palm Sunday. Today begins the most important week in the life of the most important person who has ever lived. We know him as Jesus Christ. Now, what I want you to do is take out this blue insert. Everybody wave it like a palm branch, like the kids just did. Take out your blue insert. I want to make sure you've got him. Okay, keep going, keep going. We got, I want to make sure everybody has him. All right, now look at him. This is our Wheaton Bible Church Holy Week Scripture Reading Guide. Some years ago, I created this for you so that you could day by day soak in what the Bible has to say about what happens during this amazing week. And so we could do it together as a church. Now, I want you to find a time and a place each and every day this week uh, to read these passages so you will better understand, so you will be transformed by the amazing love, the depths of God's amazing love for you revealed in this week in Jesus Christ. Then, when you come back on Good Friday for one of our actually four Good Friday services, the two interactive kids services in the morning, which you need tickets for, and then the two in the evening where we focus on Good Friday and Christ's crucifixion. And when you come back on Easter, when we celebrate the resurrection, uh, bringing guests that you have been praying for, that you have invited, uh, when you have done these passages during the week, what happens is when you come then, you're coming out of fullness. Because you have been amazed at what Jesus Christ has done for you. Now, because this is Palm Sunday, because the next Sunday is Easter Sunday, we're going to, in this series on Jesus and the Gospel of Mark, we're going to jump ahead a little in Mark. So I want you to turn this morning to Mark chapter 11. In a couple of weeks, we'll come back to Mark chapter 10. So turn to Mark chapter 11. Now, when we come to verse 1, this is Sunday. It's five days before Jesus will be crucified. Jerusalem is overflowing with people. Uh, Jews that are there to celebrate the Passover. This eight-day Jewish festival, still 2,000 years later, being celebrated by Jews all around the world. This Passover festival commemorates the deliverance of Israel from the bondage, the slavery Israel experienced in Egypt. Now, in Jerusalem, because of the festival, hundreds of thousands of people are there, and there's an electricity in the air, a, a buzz. A buzz running through the massive crowds because of the miracles that Jesus had recently performed, including supernaturally raising Lazarus from the dead just a couple miles away, a couple miles west of Jerusalem. So what's going on is Jews are turning to Jesus. They're flocking to Jesus. They're believing in Jesus. But the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are infuriated. But the mass of Israel... 
the crowd of the Jews are wondering, is Jesus the Messiah? Could he be? Is the time now? And so here on Palm Sunday, with Jesus' triumphal entry, Jesus declares, yes, I am the Messiah. Jesus does not disappoint the crowds. So let's begin reading in verse 1, Mark chapter 11. As they approached Jerusalem and they came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one, no one has ever ridden. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks you why, why are you doing this, tell them the Lord needs it, and they will send it back here shortly. Now in Matthew's account, Matthew tells us that the colt is a donkey, a donkey that's never been ridden. And the fact that it's never been ridden is signaling us it's appropriate for sacred use. In addition, in the ancient Near East, uh, visiting rulers, rabbis, or, or, or teachers uh, would temporarily borrow one another's property, like for transportation here. This, by the way, is where Hertz got started. Donkey rental. But this practice was so common, it was actually given a word, and the word was angaria. So Jesus is practicing angaria here. He's not advocating donkey theft, all right? Now let's pick it up in verse 4. When they went and found a colt outside in the street and tied it at a doorway, as they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Now let me stop there for a moment. John, in his account of the triumphal entry, tells us that the branches that were cut were palm branches, palm trees all over, hence Palm Sunday. Now the cloaks and the palm branches together were the first century equivalent of rolling out the red carpet. Rolling this carpet out. Pointing to how massive, how big this celebration really was. Actually, Jerusalem hadn't seen anything like this in decades. Potentially in, in centuries. Now let's continue in verse 9. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem, went to the temple. He looked around at everything. Since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now here the crowds are quoting from a psalm, Psalm 118 which was one of the ascent psalms, it was actually a prayer of blessing for the coming messianic kingdom. 
and hear the crowds in going back to the Old Testament to Psalm 118 and, and quoting this psalm are openly declaring that Jesus, not Caesar, is king. So what's going on here is as much an act of defiance, defiance against Rome, as it is worship. So this is a, a, a spiritual event, but also it's a political rally of sorts. There's a lot of politics happening here. And that is why the Hosannas will prove to be empty. Now in Luke's account of this event, uh, the Pharisees tell Jesus to squelch this. Squelch the hosannas. Tell the crowds to be quiet. And Jesus responds, if they stay quiet, the stones will shout out. The stones will worship. So the political and religious volatility here, the electricity is um, off the charts. And what I want you to understand is Jesus knows this and Jesus, in fact, is initiating this. And here in this one act, this triumphal entry into Jerusalem, in the way Jesus chooses to go about it, in, in the worship he accepts, Jesus sets in motion an explosion of events that will lead either to the overthrow of the Roman government and the overthrow of the current Jewish religious establishment or it will lead to Jesus' death. Here, Jesus has crossed the point of no return. Here, in the triumphal entry, there is no turning back. No retirement for Jesus at the beach. It all changes for him here. Now, when you put all four of the different gospel accounts together, and this triumphal entry is so important, it's recorded in all four of our gospels, there are three things that emerge. In the triumphal entry, Jesus is saying, I am the king. I am the promised, prophesied, ruling, messianic king. The second thing Jesus is saying is, I am merciful, I am loving, I am caring. And the third thing Jesus is saying here, signaling here, is I bring peace. I want to take those one at a time. So let's start with the first. Jesus is the sovereign king. Now what I want to do is put up on the screen a couple verses from Matthew's account and how Matthew ties this to Old Testament ancient prophecy. Let's look at this. This, play, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, now the daughter of Zion is a figure for Israel. Say to Israel, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fall, fall of a donkey. Now I got to tell you, this is crazy. Matthew is telling us that when Jesus gets on this colt, Jesus is fulfilling a very specific 500-year-old prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. 
This is crazy because Jesus is unashamedly and publicly claiming to be the prophesied king, the anointed son of David, the Messiah who will sit on David's thrones. And the crowds, they get this. They get that. Hosanna. Hosanna to the king, the heir of the throne of David. So what we have going on in Jerusalem in this moment is something that is incredibly dramatic, but equally incredibly dangerous. Either Jesus is a lunatic, a liar, or the prophesied king of kings. There are no other no other options. In addition, that Jesus here knows there's a cult in the village that's ahead. He knows it has never been ridden. He knows exactly where it is, tells the disciples what to do. That, that Jesus refuses to stop the crowds from uh, worshiping, all point to, all affirm Jesus' deity, his kingship. Now, yes, the crowds will turn. They will turn on Jesus for three or four days uh, because Jesus will not be the political deliverer they wanted. Jesus will not meet their political expectations. But everything, everything Jesus says and does is an unequivocal public claim to be the king of kings, the sovereign messianic king. So Jesus will not be a powerless victim when he's crucified. He is God orchestrating his own assassination. Now, don't miss the application. What this means is you're not the king. I'm not the king. Jesus is the king. You're not the king of your world. Jesus is the king of your world. You are a servant. Jesus is the master. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you know Jesus, if you have come to Jesus, you are an ambassador, a divinely appointed representative of the king of kings. According to 1 Peter chapter 2, you are a priest of the king of kings with access to the very presence of God. But Jesus is the king. And this also means when life gets hard, Jesus is still the king. Man, I, I want people to look at your life. You want people to look at your, your life and say, wow, Jesus Christ really is the king of your life because you wouldn't do such and such or you wouldn't respond in this way or you wouldn't say that or you wouldn't be so kind or so forgiving or so loving or you wouldn't give so much of your time, your talents and your treasure. You wouldn't be so involved. You wouldn't care so much about people that are, are disenfranchised if Jesus wasn't the king of your life. And I see by the way you live, I see by your reactions that Jesus is the king of your life. Now our problem is 
We forget this all the time. You forget it, I, I forget it. So when you go to work, are you the king or are you the servant of the king of kings? When you come home, do you come home as the king or a servant of the king of kings? You know, in, in my house, it doesn't work very well if I uh, come home and, and say to Rhonda, well, Rhonda, I don't really care if you've seen 20 patients today. I want my dinner and I want my dinner now. Or, by the way, why isn't that picked up? Or why aren't you being more responsive to my needs? When you come home, are you coming home as the king or as a servant of the king of kings? How about with church? So many of us come to church and sit in judgment on church. Like that, didn't like that. That was a C. Hopefully it'll be a B. But I, I got to write this down on the comment card. And we sit in judgment on the church. Instead of coming to church and saying, Lord Jesus, I am a miserable sinner. And I desperately need a word from you. Would you give me the grace to learn to worship you in church so I can worship you all week long? We come to church as the king, not as a servant of the king. And one of the reasons we have such a hard uh, time in hard places or we're so uptight or we're so angry or so, we're so short or one of the reasons we don't laugh that much or we're so insensitive to the, to the needs around us. We don't read a room very well when we're in it. Uh, one of the reasons there's so little joy and so little contentment in, in our lives is because along the way we've just gotten really busy and we've lost our awe of Jesus and we've forgotten that Jesus is the king. And we place ourselves on the throne. And everything in our lives revolves around us. And if Jesus doesn't rule your life, in the hard moments, if Jesus Christ doesn't rule your life in the little moments, he doesn't rule your life. He isn't the king. You're the king. And if you fail to take Jesus seriously in the crunch of life, pretty soon, pretty soon, you won't be taking him at all. Selective obedience isn't obedience, it's convenience. Israel's very first king, Saul, lost the throne. Ended up being one of the five suicides in the Bible because in the press of life, he grew impatient. He grew fearful. He cared more about what his friends and other people thought than what God thought, and he failed to take God seriously. He dethroned the king. 
now 1,100 years after Saul, all of Israel will turn on Jesus. All of Israel will reject Jesus, will crucify Jesus, because Jesus didn't meet Israel's expectations. And in the crunch of life, Israel will fail to take Jesus seriously. Don't make that mistake. You and I are not the king. Jesus is the king. Now let me go on. The second thing we learn from the triumphal entry is that Jesus is merciful, Jesus is loving, Jesus is caring. When Jesus enters Jerusalem, he isn't entering to execute justice. That day will come at his second coming. And when it comes, according to Revelation chapter 20, uh, Jesus won't be riding a donkey, he'll be riding a war horse, a white horse. But that day is not today. This isn't that day. Here, right now in Mark chapter 11, Jesus isn't entering Jerusalem to execute justice, but to absorb it. To absorb the white-hot wrath of God toward human sin. And he will do that by going to the cross, by dying in our place for our sins so that we, he might rescue all who believe. If you've seen the movie Noah, which I think is just so-so, or, or better, if you know the biblical account of Noah, Jesus is the ark. Jesus is the one who rescues us. So this donkey is a symbol of peace the peace god offers in in jesus and riding the donkey is this incredible public declaration of divine love divine mercy divine uh, compassion that jesus brings to a sinful fallen world uh, furthermore and and i'll show you this in just a second Luke tells us that when Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on this first Palm Sunday, he was weeping as he rode. Weeping. Now the crowd is rejoicing, but Jesus is weeping. Weeping. Knowing the judgment that is about to fall on Israel because of Israel's rejection of him. Look at how Luke puts this. Let's go to Luke chapter 19 and verse 21. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The day will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. As a matter of history, we know Jesus is referring to the destruction of Israel in 70 A.D. 
And what's so very interesting is you can go to Israel today, and I forgot to get a couple of my pictures uh, in, in Jerusalem up, and you can see these massive stones from the walls of the temple still in heaps today, 2,000 years later. Totally destroyed. Israel did not recognize the time of God's coming. And Jesus is weeping. So these tears are tears of love. Tears of compassion, tears of sadness. He's weeping over Israel's spiritual blindness, Israel's unbelief and the destruction that comes from rejecting Jesus. And here, let me just say parenthetically, we get a glimpse into the complexity of our Lord's heart. Because he is mourning the very destruction he is planning. Jesus is absolutely sovereign, holy in his sovereignty, and he must judge sin, but he is completely and totally infinite in his love, in his mercy, in his compassion, and he desires that none perish. None. So here Jesus announces the destruction, but weeps as he announces it. Do you see the complexity of Jesus? That's not a contradiction. It is a tension. It's a complexity. Jesus is sovereign in his mercy and merciful in his sovereignty. He is sovereign in salvation, sovereign in judgment. Uh, but he wants all to come to him. He wants none to perish. And Israel as a nation is about to perish. So what does this say? about Jesus' love. How do, how do we respond? Well, we worship. We live in awe of Jesus because Jesus is the king, the prophesied promised king. But we come to him, we find comfort in him, we can be honest before him, we can bring our struggles to him, we can know we are secure in him because he is tender in his mercy, tender in his love, infinite in his compassion, his forgiveness, and his grace because he cares for us so very much. No one loves you like Jesus. And that comes bubbling to the surface and breaks out here in the triumphal entry of Jesus. Jesus came into Jerusalem to take care of you. Jesus will take care of you. He is riding into Jerusalem to die for you. Now, two applications relative to this love of God we see in Jesus, this love of Jesus. In light of the incredible love of Jesus, you have no reason to fear. No reason to fear. As I told our men uh, this Thursday at our, 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 our men's huddle, uh, we promise according to our hopes, but we perform according to our fears. Promise according to our hopes, we perform according to our fears. Fear is living with your foot on the brakes. And the greater the fear, the more pressure you apply to the brakes. Fear is a parasite that feeds on the host of unbelief. Fear is walking by sight, not by faith. Ultimately, 
fear is succumbing to the lie that someone or something or this particular situation is bigger than God and God will not take care of you. And fearing anything but God is toxic to your soul. I don't know what your fear is, but I do know that you have fears, I have fears. Uh, sometimes they're related to our jobs or our, our lack of employment. Sometimes they're financial. Sometimes it's a health thing or a family thing. Or, or maybe you're single and you want desperately to get married and you're not. Or maybe you're in a bad marriage. Or maybe you've got a kid issue. Or maybe it's your retirement. Or, or, or maybe you're in a relationship you know you should break off or you have a job you know you should leave, but you can't because you're too fearful. Or maybe God's been calling you to some ministry to do something to get involved in some way, but you won't because you're too fearful. I don't know what your fear is. I do know you have them. I know I have them. And I also know that faith is central to resolving fear. And, and, and central to faith is a, a, a deep-seated conviction that my God is absolute and infinite in his love for me. And that his forgiveness is complete and total. And I am secure in, in his love. And one of the greatest New Testament pictures of this tender mercy is Jesus riding on a colt into Jerusalem, weeping as he rides. Jesus will take care of you. He will take care of you. And when you inhale and exhale the love of Jesus Christ, you can blow every house of fear down. You can blow it down because of God's love in Jesus Christ. Uh, the second thing uh, I, I, I see here when I think about the love of God revealed here in the triumphal entry is the triumphal entry means not only do we have uh, no reason to fear, but we have every reason to hope, every reason to hope. I'll talk a little about this on Easter Sunday, but there is no hope in the world, right? Well, that was a good response. There is no hope in the world, right? Right, we know that. I, I, I mean, we're not seeing less war. The world is not getting more stable. Uh, there's not, you don't wake up and remand, all of a sudden terrorism's gone away. Greed, this, that, gone away. Uh, there is no hope in the world. On Palm Sunday, hope rides on a colt. And the crowd say, Hosanna. Hope is riding on the back of a donkey. Jesus is the hope of the world. Jesus has come to bring forgiveness, love, and hope. 
And one of the reasons we can laugh in in the face of adversity, one of the reasons we can be people that overflow with joy is because our hope isn't tethered to our circumstances. Our hope is tethered to the one who rode into Jerusalem. And finally, quickly, the third thing we see in the triumphal entry is that Jesus brings peace. He brings peace. And what is peace? Peace isn't the ab- is not the absence of conflict. It is not the absence of conflict. It is not having the right job. It, 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 it's not having the perfect marriage or perfect set of kids. That doesn't exist. Uh, peace isn't the right this it isn't the right that it's not having uh, the perfect uh, team you can have my team my team is the cubs and i have no peace with my team Uh, take them peace isn't a circumstance thing peace is a person who will be crucified on good friday for your sin and mine. And summing this up, look how Paul puts it in Colossians chapter 1. For God was pleased, God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in him, that is in Jesus, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making, there it is, peace. Through his blood shed on the cross. I love that. What that means is this cosmic offer of peace still stands. It's still good. And it's secure in the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus offers you peace. And so if you've never done so, I want to invite you today. I mean right now. Maybe you're visiting or, or maybe you attend church infrequently. Maybe, maybe some of this has just gone over your head because you've been focused on other things. Man, I want to invite you to lay down your arms. Lay down your self-righteousness, your self-sufficiency, and admit your rebellion. Admit the fact that you have walked away from God. Admit that right now the things going on in your mind, on in your mind are not pleasing to God. I want you to admit that. I want you to confess that. And I want you to accept by faith Jesus' full and and free pardon and embrace him as your Lord and Savior and say yes to him and swear allegiance to him as your king. The triumphal entry begins the most important week in the life of the most important person who ever has lived. And what does it tell us? It tells us that Jesus is the king. It tells us that Jesus will love us through anything. And it tells us Jesus has come to bring peace. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we are amazed at what your Son has done for us. And all all that's ahead for Jesus 
this week. And we thank you and we praise you. And we honor and we worship you. And Father, now as we continue to worship you by giving to you and by singing to you, we want you to know we love you. And we pray in Jesus' great name. Amen.